Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Starita is a lifelong musician with over 15 years of experience as an engineer and producer. He started his career at the famous Hyde Street Studios in the late 1990s, learning from many of the Bay Area greats. Moving to Ednet, Starita had the pleasure of being the ISDN engineer for clients such as Rick Rubin, Sting, Warner Brothers, Universal Motown, and many others. This propelled his career to working for Dolby for five years until he decided to go back to doing what he really loved, making records. I spoke with him in late 2012 about his latest venture, Bay Area Music Collective, aiming at making the Bay Area a music destination again, and which is now offering artist services. So when did you first get into music? So I first got into music, uh, first of all, like, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, so um, music was always around us growing up, you know, Elvis Christmas is something that it always rings a bell, so this, uh, this time of year is kind of special for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, always just, you know, the old stereos on all the time, lots of vinyl, eight tracks, and um, I guess it was about five years old, um, Charlie Daniels was my... Uh, Charlie Daniels was my favorite band and artist, so um, I told Mama that I wanted to learn how to play fiddle, and uh, <laughs> so we just happened to have a uh, a neighbor right across the hall from the apartments that we were living in who was a, actually a class a, a really really good classical uh, viola and violin player. So he agreed to give me lessons, but uh, he wasn't too hip on the fiddling thing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I took violin. I, it, gosh, it was probably about five years that I was playing violin, but just one day I remember saying, I'm not going to violin lessons anymore because he won't let me fiddle. <laughs> so um, then uh, I had an uncle who... Um, who always played music and he was kind of my idol and uh he, he was uh, in a bunch of bands toured around and so i grabbed the guitar and um taught myself a few chords you know pulled out the old mel bay's chord book and uh went for it and the next thing you know i was uh picking out tunes off the radio you know my mom gave me her old led zeppelin vinyls and grabbed some black sabbath vinyls from my uncle's collection and uh just sat there and figured it out and and, um yeah the rest is kind of history i uh i went into school band i was the tuba player i was the uh i was a guy on the big sousaphone marching around out there and uh (laughs) and playing tuba in concert band as well so uh yeah i was the tuba dude (laughs) What other instruments do you play besides tuba? Well, uh, like I said, guitar. Um, 
but it just seems that uh, I, I get stuck on bass a lot as well. So <laughs> I guess uh, I could be considered a bass player. It was kind of a hard transition for me because with bass guitar, it's more important where you don't play than where you do play. Being a guitar player, where we're used to noodling all over the place, and uh, but yeah, I've um, I've played bass in several different projects. And uh, I'll, I'll, I've been known to lay bass down for some of the artists that I that I produce as well. So, yeah, that pretty much stops with bass. Oh, didgeridoo! I'm uh, an avid didgeridoo player. It's a little secret of mine. <laughs> it was easy to transfer to bass for kind of from tuba, um, being able to read the bass clef when I was younger, and then uh, with having to actually use an armature with your mouth uh start picking up didgeridoo is actually pretty easy as well so tuba helped me out in a lot of ways <laughs> and how did you get into engineering did you actually go to school for it yeah i went to school um i guess i was i was at a crossroads um i was really into djing as well and i'd graduated high school and i was like well i could either major in music and be a band director the rest of my life or i could try and live the dream and be a rock star which I was going to do anyway, but I, I had to come up with a way to make money and still be in the music industry. So I was like, I need to figure out how to make records. And I was working at the local record store and um, <clears throat> the guy that sold my mom, my first violin and all of my guitars, Don Morrison, uh, we worked together at the record store and he pulled out a Rolling Stone magazine and opened to the back and said, uh, yeah, check this place out. It's called Full Sail. It's down in Orlando. They teach you how to do the whole thing, you know, start to finish. And uh, so I went to my parents and uh, begged and pleaded because, um, you know, we didn't, we weren't poor, but we sure as hell didn't have enough money to go to one of these expensive technical schools. So, um, yeah, I went and begged and pleaded, and that that that's what happened. They sent me down there, and um yeah, and I, uh, I, I actually, I learned something because <laughs> I wasn't big on school, you know. So um, uh, it was actually really good. That's the first time I'd ever studied, you know. I just cared about it so much, and it, um, yeah, it changed my life. You know, a lot of these kids go into these schools and they don't really do anything with the education that they get, or they don't get the education that they planned on getting. But uh, I was very fortunate to uh, come out of there and uh, slide right into engineering, actually. And you started at Hyde Street Studios? Yeah, I started at Hyde Street Studios. When I graduated, I, uh, as I said, I had that, that Uncle Billy that I would always, you know, was always my idol. But when I was like seven, he moved out to San Francisco. So ever since I was seven, I said, when I grow up, I'm moving to San Francisco to be a rock star with Uncle Billy. And uh, and I showed up. <laughs> so, yeah, I graduated school. I shot straight out here. Um, I got off the plane. It was in 97, and I just uh, got 20 bucks worth of quarters, tore out the, uh, the yellow pages of recording studios, and just hit the streets. And um, my whole thing was, uh, I always said, just fax through your resume. And I said, no, sir, I don't fax anybody my resume. I need five minutes of your time and to look you in the eye and hand it to you. And um, a lot of people got really pissed off about that. And some people really respected me for that. And Hyde Street Studios was one of those. Um, I called them for a whole week trying to get in over there. And I, uh, I got in and I was going for an internship. And I ended up landing an engineering position in one of the rooms there. So I kind of just went straight into it and uh, fell in with a lot of uh, people here in the Bay Area. 
who gave me a, a, a big chance to to use my skills, and and I just fell in with the right people. It was it was just kind of meant to be. Who have you worked with over the years? So when I first started out here, I um I just bumped up to bumped into a producer and a local DJ. He kind of started the dance scene here in San Francisco in the Bay Area, Pete Avila. And he had done a lot of remixes for like, uh, well, at that time, uh, Aretha Franklin. Um, he's worked with Pink, done remixes for her, a lot, a lot of big pop artists. And uh, I bumped into him at a record store and we started working together. He, he had a radio show called Your Mama's House on KMEL with David Harness and uh, Foxy Brown. And so um, I fell into that group of people and then ended up working with Miguel Miggs and J.J. Hernandez at their spot over called Molten Street uh, that's actually on Molten Street um, off of Fillmore there in the marina. Yeah, so I fell in with that the whole dance scene pretty much immediately uh, in San Francisco. And then I wanted to kind of, I don't know, kind of broaden my skill set. So I ended up moving on to a, um, a place uh, called EDNet at uh, ISDN. Um, company basically that you can do studio sessions with anybody in the world um george lucas and ray dolby came up with the technology um because george lucas didn't want to come down to some of the studios to listen to um the mixes for the movies so he's like there's got to be a way that we can connect up over isdn lines and i can listen to it in real time so that that uh, company formed as a result of that, and that that really started broadening who I got to work with. Um, I mean, I did sessions with for Rick Rubin when Sting and Yo Yo Ma were working together a lot. I would connect them, and I would kind of uh, hold you know hold the hand during the session in between. It was all remote, but I worked very closely with them and their engineers, uh, Phil Collins. Warner Brothers was a big client of ours, Universal, Sony. So I got a lot of experience working with very high-profile clients and um, large record labels and movie companies as, as well. And, uh, yeah, that that really started to, to broaden my skill set. I kind of have a rare skill set um, when it comes to the music industry, having worked for all these different companies. And that kind of catapulted my career into uh, working for Dolby Laboratories because of that skill set that I had, had, knowing audio so well and knowing um, technology and uh, troubleshooting and being able to make things happen. So basically, after that, I moved to, to Dolby. I guess I was a technical manager, uh, but to make that, to, to tell you what that really is, uh, basically when Dolby, Dolby would have um, a new technology or an existing technology that they wanted to show outside of their laboratories, let's say a trade show, a press conference, um, just any sort of event, I would work with them and uh, marketing and we would figure out a way to make that happen remotely. Because some of the technologies might not have been fully developed, like we wouldn't have an actual end product. So I would go and set these things up uh, from trade shows, like I said, to press events, and basically traveled around the world showing people Dolby technology in a great way. So that, as you can imagine, took my skill set even more crazy to where I could basically make anything happen at any place in the world <laughs> if you just gave me some cables and the gear to do it i stayed there for 
five years and um but then there was that gnawing feeling again that uh it's like i, I need to be making records uh this isn't making me happy and um that's not why i came out to the san francisco bay area and that's not why i um that's not my passion um i, I learned a lot but uh then it was time to move on and so i did uh went back into making records and um becoming co-owner of a major recording studio in san francisco and that's fault line studios yeah that's fault line studios i um i had a good friend joe k he um he was a founder him and yosh haraguchi so they founded that and then joe moved away to to atlanta and there was kind of a space there so i jumped in and i gave that a shot for a while and um it was great because that that just opened the doors for me to be able to um to work with a lot of different people that's kind of what brought me into working with like Los Amigos Invisibles, um, a huge Latin dance band that uh, they're just a great bunch of guys. But uh, them, Trevor Hall, um, did some work with Michael Franti, kind of to, to backtrack. Um, when I was at Hyde Street Studios, when I started, is when I met Jay Bowman, who's also the co-producer, a writer with Michael Franti and the, the lead guitar player. For Spearhead, um, and me and him created a relationship, um, gosh, in 98, and we've been pretty much best friends and production partners ever since. We've done a lot of uh, a lot of work together, worked on a lot of records, remixes, and that kind of catapulted into me remixing uh, Michael Franti and Spearhead's Everyone Deserves Music. Me and Jake did that together. DJ career, we get toured around the world playing. I would DJ and Jay Bowman would play over the records on just screaming 
leads. <laughs> if you can imagine being in a house club and the TNJ Bowman come up and start screaming like a Pink Floyd lead <laughs> over house music, and that was us. <laughs> Back to the to working at Faultline, we um we did a series of, of uh, videos which brought in like the Agrilites, um Tyler Bryant, the Shakedown. Um, he's a, an amazing. If if you don't know about this guy, you, you got to check him out. He's um there was a uh a documentary called Rock Prophecies which is um showcases him um he's just an amazing prodigy guitar player he's like the next Jimi Hendrix Stevie Ray Vaughan he's played with Aerosmith and Jeff Beck and you know Slash is actually in the in the uh in the documentary talking about how amazing he is but anyway we um I had the great fortune of uh, recording him last year um Robert Francis, uh, some Vanguard artists. I have a great relationship with Vanguard Records. Um, so, yeah, that was really good at uh, working at Faultline. And then I, um, I just, I had another nagging feeling inside of me when I was owner of Faultline that uh, there needed to be a central community resource. Um, and in the San Francisco Bay Area, it has over the years become very segmented. And people are a lot in silos. Everybody just kind of keeps their head down and they're doing what they do. And a lot of new studios and new engineers and new producers have popped up, one of which was Faultline. And I just started seeing this um, this need for there to be a community resource or somebody to be in the middle to bring everybody together. And I tried to do that while I was at Faultline. But I noticed that I was still considered in the industry as a studio owner. So... I said, you know what I've got to do is the only way that I'm going to accomplish this community feeling and bringing it back to make San Francisco and the Bay Area a, a, a music destination again is I need to move on and quit waiting around for somebody to do this and do it myself. And so I moved on from Faultline Studios as an owner and um, basically just started working all around town at a bunch of different studios. So I started <clears throat> just kind of bouncing around, learning other rooms, and having a lot of meetings with uh, people that are in the local music industry, from studio owners to local promoters to uh, to artists, and trying to figure out what the people wanted. And uh, because I kept hearing this, we need community. We need to get the community back together. We, you know, we need to to come together because the San Francisco Bay Area is so small. We're not like L.A. and Nashville where there's just tons of industry constantly happening, but there's a lot of good music here and a lot of amazing talent in studios. And so they needed to be somebody to bring it all together. And so I was just tired of waiting around, like I said, for somebody to do it. And so I um, I decided I was going to do it, and that's when I came up uh, with, the, uh, with the idea for Bay Area Music Collective, um, which is the new company that I've just started here, and uh, we've been we've been really doing a lot to, um, like I said, just meeting with the community and figuring out what the needs are, and finding those gaps and filling them. So with Bay Area Music Collective, um, like I said, we we saw that there needed to be a, a need for community. <clears throat> so it's what we did is we the the idea that I came up with through meditation, I just kind of came to this realization that. There needs to be trust and there needs to be integrity between all of the different players. That's the only way they're going to work together is they have to trust each other. That's the only way that they're going to share work. That's, you know, uh, an artist needs to be with the right engineer at the right studio with the right producer to let his voice be heard, his or her voice be heard. 
to its full extent to make that dream come to fruition from an artist. They have to be with the right people that understand that dream. So if you have a folk producer, engineer that likes to do that, and he meets a metal band, he probably shouldn't be the guy to record and produce that project, right? <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. So, but, you know, it, him, if he doesn't know who the players are in San Francisco in the Bay Area who are doing metal music, then he's probably going to end up doing it just because he doesn't know who to turn them on to. So people get to need to get to know each other. And the only way that they're going to do that is to work with each other. They're not going to work with each other unless they trust each other. So they needed to be a collaborative project. So as what we've been doing is um, touring artists that are coming through the San Francisco Bay Area um, through being in the industry for so long, I have a lot of connections with different management and uh, um, tour managers and such. So I get in touch with them ahead of time and say, hey, you're coming through San Francisco or you're coming through Oakland. Why don't we jump uh, into Hyde Street Studios um, before your sound check and I'll bring in a video crew. We'll record one tune. So that's what that does is I book the different studios, one for tracking, one for mixing. I'm bringing a national recording artist that's coming through town that might be playing the Fillmore or the Independent or the New Parish, wherever it may be. And I'm taking them to one of these recording studios and we're videoing the whole thing. So it's showing off the talent of the recording studio, the beautiful room, the engineer that I might have do it if it's not myself. And I'm giving those artists a touch of the bay. You know, I'm showing them that we still have the infrastructure here and we still have these beautiful studios. And then I'm also adding to the studio's client list these not, these bigger national artists that are coming through. So now this artist comes through, they record, they do a video, they're able to put it out. It goes out to all of their fans, which is channels that we otherwise wouldn't be able to reach. And it shows off our talents. And it also that artist might go, hey, you know, I'm about to record my next record. I had a really, really good time with, you know, Brian DeLiza over at Freak Lab Recording. Well, I'm not going to go to L.A. or Nashville to do my next record. Maybe I'll go to San Francisco and uh, and do it with DeLiza or, you know, Patrick Brown at Different Fur. Just what have you, any of these people or Yosh over at Faultline. You know, I'm just showing them all the different examples of our work in the different studios and showing them that, that, that we are a contender in the music industry. And this is the place to come to make a record. In this new day and age, uh, record labels aren't as much of um, a part of musicians' lives. You don't have to get a big record deal to make it anymore. It's much more DIY. In fact, they encourage that. They say, you know, we're not going to do, we're not going to pay for your recording. We're not going to have it pressed up. We're not going to do the artwork for you. We're not going to build your website, your Facebook page, your band page. Uh, we're not going to do all of these, get photographer for you. We're not going to do all of these things. They basically said, we want you to go from the recording phase all the way to go into market, build a fan base, and then we'll pay attention to you. Well, this leaves a huge gap in the market that artists, they might not know photographers. They might not know how to build a website. They might not know how to do any of these things. All they know how to do is music, and that's all they should have to know because they're musicians. So as what we've spotted is this gap in the industry, and we're going to fill it by offering artist services for um for people from all the way from the beginning process of where they should record or who the players are that they might want to know about all the way to going to market. And we're going to offer that to artists so they could come to us and get a one hour free consultation about their 
their recording project so we can tell them that they have all these different options of people that are folk producers, let's say, or, you know, indie shoegazer rock. You know, we know who all these players are. So we've become, we're becoming a central resource and we're going to offer that to, to artists at a lower fee, uh, either a la carte or in buckets to take them all the way from the record, their vision of just writing songs all the way to having a finished product and going to market. So that's another big thing that we're going to do, uh, that we are doing at Bay Area Music Collective. And um, we just we just feel like there's a huge need for that in the music industry right now. Uh, a lot of people are scared or were scared about the, the new music industry or <laughs> the lack thereof. And I think it's one of the most exciting times that now you don't have to be a part of a big record label to get your voice heard anymore. And um, we just want to make sure that all of those services that they were doing for people, um, that that they're still getting that from somewhere. Um, So they can do it on their own and they don't have to dedicate time to worrying about, you know, finding lawyers, let's say, or building websites or even, even as basic as getting insurance for yourself. We have connections to do that for people, different avenues that we could take them, you know, just for the basic things that bands need to just protect themselves and to go to market. And they don't have to worry about a record label. They can come to us and we're, we are that central resource that can provide those things for them. And who else is involved in the Bay Area Music Collective? Wow. It's, um, it, the list is very, is very huge. Let, let's see here. I mean, like I said, we got a great, uh, relationship with Vanguard Records. Pretty much every recording studio, I mean, has, has signed on in some, some sort of context, either sponsored with studio time or just to be a part of it. They help us out with some of the engineering that has to go into it. We've got tons of different, uh, video companies like, um, one of the, one of the best uh, who's on our advisory board is Ganesh Photography, Steve Rosenfield. Um, he shoots a lot of big artists from Michael Franti, Trevor Hall, Chris Cornell, Nora Jones. Um, we even have manufacturers that have supported us, you know, Royer Labs and Manly Labs, you know, the microphone and um, and gear manufacturers, uh, Expression. They just uh, sponsored a party that we did, our launch party, actually, at different first studios. Yeah, uh, gosh, just there's just tons of people um, that have gotten behind it. There's a huge list online if you go to barrymusiccollective.com slash community. There's, uh, there's a full list there of all the people that, that are a part of it. And the, and the community just keeps growing. We, um, we have a join. We have a tab on our website where... You can go and actually sign up um, just to join the collective um, and tell us a little bit about yourself uh, so we can just kind of figure out what's, what's going on in the scene because the way that this is all built is like local businesses can be a part of it by sponsorships. Fans can be a part of it. We're thinking of actually opening up some of the studio sessions and uh, having tickets available for fans to win so they can come in and sit in the studio and watch us record Trevor Hall, let's say. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Um, if you, you can have all the money in the world, but you can't buy a ticket to go into a recording studio with, you know, Michael Franti and Spearhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we want to kind of open the door to fans as well and give them the chance to do all these cool things, Get let these artists be a part of it as well. And uh, we're, just, we're not only doing that with uh, touring artists, we're doing it with local artists as well. We've had Emmett Pichot 
come through Chris James. Um, we've got a couple of other local acts uh, coming up that we're going to be doing as well. So this is these video releases aren't only for big touring acts. We just like to have them in there to um, so we can get to larger fan bases as well and to give them some sort of value and show that the Bay Area is here for them as well. Um, and it's not just Bay Area uh, artists. It's it's open to everybody, and our artist services program is open to anybody in the world that, that wants to take advantage of it as well. Yes, it's, the doors are pretty much open to everybody when you when you have a core mission like ours to to keep it uh, community based and um, stay true to music. As long as you keep that focus, then there is a way for everybody to plug into Bay Area Music Collective no matter who you are, from fan to coffee shop to huge record label to television station to uh, small-time photographer to, you know, uh, the mechanic shop that's right next to the studio. They can sponsor it, you know. I mean, there's a million different people that can just be a part of it and get their voice out there as well because a lot of these local businesses, if they sponsor these things, they get their logos and some of the videos and they go out to a large crowd of people that they normally wouldn't get to. So, um, yeah, it's basically just open door to everybody because um, that's the only way that, uh, that we're going to be the number one music destination in the world again is if we all work together and um, don't draw any lines and just keep an open door policy to everybody. Here is Emmett Pichot with Another Way.
Do you want to tell me about your website, StaritaSF.com? Yeah, a little bit about StaritaSF. That's me as an engineer and a producer. As you know, as I said earlier, I've worked with a, a huge uh, clientele from all sorts of different uh, genres. Yeah, so I offer my engineering and producing services to um, to everybody as well. That It, it supplements uh, Bay Area Music Collective because if somebody can't do it, then I can always go in there and, <laughs> and do the session. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I do have my own uh, production company as well, so... Um, yeah, we do. Uh, I can I can pretty much work out of any studio in the world. You had mentioned meditation. Do you have the artists do anything in particular to prepare for recording with you? Uh, re- rehearse. <laughs> I have them rehearse a lot because you know one of the one of the things now with the new digital age that there, there's there's ups and downs to it, and one of the I think negative. Uh, or one of the downsides to it is that people think they can just come in there and just kind of half-ass it, basically, and then we'll just fix it in Pro Tools. And I really don't come from that school or train of thought of any of this fix it in the mix or or fix anything. I I think you should rehearse. You should come in and you should play it right, you know. And uh, so I am, I do, what I I myself prepare for for artists is that I, I really try and get get inside their head and figure out what it is they want to accomplish um, and really, you know, understand their vision for it because that's what music is. You know, it's, it's, it's your voice. And, and I think it's important for an engineer and a producer to, uh, to really get inside of their head. And then there's also the, the thing, if you need to do that anyway, just to figure out, you know, what the time frame is, how fast you can move. Because I just, I want to know every detail about it so I can plan accordingly to make it the smoothest recording experience as possible. So we're not rushing and nobody's feeling like they're not getting their voice heard or they're having to cut corners. So it's very, very important. And it's, it's, um, it's almost something that can't be learned uh, just to be a people person and just be able to figure people out and, uh, and listen to them. So um, that's how it is with engineering. Now, if I'm producing somebody, it's a very different beast. I mean, of course, there's the getting inside their head, but there's um, when somebody um, needs production, then they have to understand um, the producer's role. So a lot of times I will, I will go into rehearsals with them. I'll sit and write with them. We'll go over and we'll do. We'll work together for what's best for the song. So there's a lot of pre-production that goes in. If I'm going to produce a record for somebody, I just uh, finished Emmett Pichot. He's a he's from Santa Cruz and an amazingly talented uh, singer songwriter. We went in the studio and basically from him coming to my house and us cooking dinner and sitting down with two acoustic guitars all the way to hiring musicians booking different studios and taking it and flying to LA, getting it mastered and really reworking the songs. We did that from start to finish all the way to now he's a part of Bay Area Music Collective and I'm completely giving him artist services and taking him all the way as far as setting him up with a lawyer, even a stylist. You know, we, my, I have access to stylists. Um, Tam Starita, um, happens to be my wife. She's a, she's a very amazing stylist and she can give you a look. And um, she knows other people that deal with, you know, with just different uh, personalities and stuff. So, I mean, we can go so far as to if you want to look a certain part, you know, you can. We can do that for you. I mean, there's there's just nothing that we can't do. So with Emmett, we did the full package 
from start to finish to even to going to getting licensing and movies and television and things like that. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that goes into to working with artists. Basically, they're handing you their baby. And it's, it's, <laughs> you're basically babysitting. and You want to make sure that you take care and nurture that thing. So it's a touchy situation sometimes. And I think that before people get into the music industry, engineering, producing, taking on something like that, I think they really need to be clear and know what people are actually expecting of them and to make sure that they can do the right thing for people's music. What is your take on the whole file sharing, BitTorrent, illegal downloads type thing? I think it's a plus. When you first started seeing the, the music industry kind of collapsing, of course, everybody everybody has attachment and, and change is a hard thing for people. So, yeah, at first it was a little bit, uh, maybe a little disheartening for me because, you know, you, you, you spend so much time working on all this music and that's kind of how you make your living. Or it is the way you make your living as far as I'm concerned. But uh, at first it was like, you know, somebody stealing from me. And then it's, it's, it all collapsed. Then it started to be marks. It, it was exposed that the music industry was not about music anymore. It was, um, and I think that's why it imploded on itself, and I, that's why I think it should have. And everybody, and then it left this whole gap. Now it's the whole independent do-it-yourself thing. So I think it was great that that happened. And I'm not really upset about it anymore, <laughs> and it's actually good. I don't. People don't buy records anymore. You know, it's kind of a fact. I, I mean, I do, but the general public. It's just a different delivery system now, and I'm actually fine with it uh, because that's what music is. I want, you know, I ask people, do you want one person to hear your music or one billion? And most people say one billion. <laughs> so however we get to that is fine with me. So people are going to keep downloading. People are going to do what they do, and we just keep making music. You know, that's uh, that's that's what you got to keep doing and not get so upset about things because change uh, is the only only thing you can be sure of. <laughs> so tell me, how did you become the governor of the board of the Recording Academy, San Francisco chapter? That terminology, it's, I am a governor. So the way it works, um, the governor sounds very prestigious, and I actually, I'd rather hear that. Than, <laughs> but um, actually, the board consists of upwards of 30 people. Um, so, and everybody is called a governor in their field. So uh, the Grammys are doing a lot that's very good they they see change as well and they are evolving so i saw i saw that there was kind of a push to um they had the same outlook as everybody else does is there's new people in town there's and there's new players there's a lot of people doing things and they wanted to make sure that they they had an outreach to everybody and that's what they did and they came to me and ask me to run for the board, and I'm like, oh, I should run for the board. I don't, I don't even know what that entails, and you know, what do you mean? <laughs> so I said, yeah, what the hell? So um, it's an election. The, the The Grammys, what a lot of people don't understand, is it is a very democratic process. It's um very deep, <laughs> deep democratic process of a lot of voting, a lot of checks and balances, and uh, yeah. And so I joined the board. It was this year, so this is my first year, and it's been it's been cool thus far. Um, it's just nice to uh, have access to a lot of different people, and you meet a lot of cool people too that are actually on the board that you just heard uh, heard about in the uh, in the Bay Area, and it's um it's very much a community thing as well. And does that help with the Bay Area Music Collective? Yes, it does help with BAMC a lot actually because. 
You basically have a lot of people that are in the industry sitting there with you once a month, and you have access to speak with them whenever you need to. And, uh, and of course, the Grammys, they have an advocacy committee that does a lot. Um, they, they, they do a lot of the things that Bay Area Music Collective does as well. We kind of um, we overlap in a lot of areas, but you know, Bay Area Music Collective, that is our only thing that we do and the grammys they they have so many different programs from music airs to helping uh to helping musicians in need to you know their advocacy efforts the grammys on the hill with legislation and uh they've just got a lot of things on their plate but we do align in a lot of ways so it's it's very much it has been a help for bamc for sure a building community is it's it's not rocket surgery you know (laughs) everybody knows it needs to happen and everybody wants it to happen it's just, uh, you know, are you going to sit around and wait for somebody to do it? And that's just kind of not my style these days. So, um, yeah, we're excited about it. And uh, and it's just getting great response from everybody as well because uh, it's a feel-good thing. And like I said, everybody knows it's, that we need it. So um, that's why everybody's on board. We've been getting some good press as well from SFGate. Yahoo News published our story. Yeah, there's been several other large, I guess, San Jose Mercury uh, we've got a bunch of different uh, publications now that we're dealing with. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot more press about BAMC um, in the coming months. And, uh, yeah, we're looking at some big, big things on the horizon that I can't elaborate on right now. But uh, <laughs> if anybody likes South by Southwest, um, yeah, we, we hope you like conferences. <laughs> what does music mean to you? You know, music... What it's always meant to me is music has always invoked uh, certain qualities and things that I think everybody should have. Um, hope, because you're always hoping to make it. You're always dreaming. You know, you always have this faith that uh, that it's going to happen, and you believe in yourself and you believe in your music. And in this day and age, you know, Believing in yourself is something that's very, very important because you can't change the world. The only thing you can change is yourself. And if everybody took the time that they used to try and change the world and put that time towards changing themselves, the world would automatically change just by default. It would just happen naturally. So music for a lot of people and artists and for me personally is believing in yourself and always having hope and knowing that what you're doing is the right thing and is you and there's no right or wrong really in music it's as long as you're doing it from the heart then it's right to you so yeah that's pretty much what music means to me <laughs> do you have any interesting stories you could tell us i've had a few crazy gigs uh, me and going back to you know me and jay bowman from spearhead we uh <laughs> like i said we toured around a lot we had a you know a couple of different bands together and uh, this was many years ago, and I was always the one. I was considered the Keith Richards of the band, <laughs> so not as bad as Keith, but uh, yeah, I was known to. You know, there were some crazy hotel stories. You know, there were, we were. I guess we were at Winter Music Conference one year. This is a good one. I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I guess it was. It was like four in the morning. We came home from um, had a bunch of girls with me, and I was. We were coming to this hotel and. They had a bunch of exposed pipes in the ceiling, and so I thought that I was going to kind of do monkey bars between all the pipes <laughs> going down the whole hall to my room, and I accidentally grabbed the um, sprinkler system line. 
<laughs> and it exploded, and I basically flooded two floors of a uh, of a hotel. <laughs> and uh, I hid in my room for the next like day or so. And I, I feel really bad about that. We won't we won't say what hotel that was, but uh, yeah, there's been a few of those incidents. Is um, there's there's been a few others that I, I think I might just have to keep to myself. I've gotten uh, yeah. There's been incidences. Uh, I remember St. Louis um, uh, through a chain of events. Uh, the manager, the promoter of the club, ended up getting arrested because of me. <laughs> but it was it was actually not my fault. But uh, yeah, I guess they have these weird laws there that you can't have an alcoholic beverage after hours, even when the doors are closed and locked and. Um, me at that time after 2 a.m yeah and i mean but the weird thing is that we were staying at the club because they had like this whole penthouse thing so i guess i um i had a drink in my hand and the the police kind of they knocked on the door and came in and uh, i didn't know that i was supposed to hide it and uh general general procedures you arrest the uh, manager of the club <laughs> so needless to say i did we didn't play st louis after that <laughs> Yeah, there's a few little crazy stories like that. Yeah, it's harmless, though, you know. I was a kid, so I'm allowed to do that stuff. <laughs> now, where I met you was one of the, your little get-togethers at Fault Line. And I remember hearing you tell a story about a particular hip-hop group that someone you knew had uh, recorded with. Do you remember that story? I think the way that it all went down, and uh, Matt Matt will correct me on this, but <laughs> what I remember, it, what he told me was, yeah, uh, so I guess over in East Bay, a tape machine had broken, and um, they called up Hyde Street, and of course, they have a tape machine, so um, they said, yeah, we've got this uh, this group coming over to uh, Hyde, Hyde Street, and um, they're going to be here at like midnight, and does anybody want to take the project? I can't remember one thing led to another, but Matt was like, hell yeah, I'll take it. He was an assistant at the time. He took the session, and he was sitting in there, and the clock was ticking. It's like 12.30, then it's like 1. And um, he said, well, if they don't show up by 2 a.m., I'm leaving. And I guess it was like 1.58. They walked in the door, and uh, he ended up working on the record. I can't believe I think he ended up mixing it, and uh, and that was Sex Packets. Digital Underground. And then he said the next thing he knew, it went multi-platinum. <laughs> So there you go. You just got to keep dreaming and believing and doing what you're doing because it can happen, man. And you never know when it's going to happen, but it will. You just got to keep showing up. <laughs> Do you have any final words you'd like to impart to our listeners? No, I guess just to, yeah, keep keep doing what you're doing, especially if you're a musician, if you're an engineer or aspiring engineer. Um, just remember that uh, 80% of the job is showing up. So just keep showing up. <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest, Starita. Please check out his website, Starita SF. That's S-T-A-R-I-T-A-S-F dot com, as well as BayAreaMusicCollective.com. We're going to leave you with one more track. This is Trevor Hall with Brand New Day. I'm Josh Almond for Music Life Radio. Don't fall asleep in the snow. Come up, up, up from below. Wipe the sleep from your eyes Oh my, my Shake the dust off your hands And come run free on this land If you wanna survive uh-huh. It's time to wake up and sing It's time to wake up and sing 